today I'm continuing the 2010 candidate series by speaking to John Mons. John is the Libertarian Party uh, of Georgia's candidate for governor in 2010. He has already secured a, a spot on the ballot, although qualifying isn't until, I believe, next week or the week after. John, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Jason. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Uh, first of all, I live down in Cairo, Georgia, southwest Georgia, and I married uh, and had four children. I am very active in my community. I have a BA degree from uh, Morehouse College, which I received in 1987. And, uh, you know, I worked in uh, the industry, banking, banking and finance with my degrees in. I worked in that, in that industry for a couple of years and then uh, went on to uh, a regional airline where I worked for 10 years. and. Probably for the last 10, 11 years, I have been a homeschool teacher to our four children. I'm on the board of directors for the local Habitat for Humanity. I've been on the the uh, Grady County Planning Commission. Also worked uh, also with the NAACP Grady County branch. And you know, I'm out here to share a little bit, you know, about my my vision for a better future for Georgia. What are your feelings on the current state of Georgia, John? Well, I think uh, Georgia, like many states, uh, is at a crossroads. Um, we've been headed down uh, in the wrong direction for a number of years, lack of leadership, and we're at a point where I think the, the citizens and the voters uh, need to make the choice on whether they would like to, to go down a familiar path, which has been laid out by the two major parties, and have bureaucrats uh, kick the can down the road, or, or they can choose to seize an opportunity uh, to take a, a better approach, a different approach, and finally deal with some of the problems we face. Not, I'm the only candidate that's been speaking out about individual rights and, and what the proper role of government is. And for, for Georgians who believe that reducing the size of government and increasing their personal freedoms is the right direction, I think I'm a natural choice for them, a, a, a choice that they could feel good about. Would you agree that budget cuts in the last session have been so tough because spending had grown at such an unsustainable pace? Well, yeah, I think that's that's one part of the equation. Um, spending had gone up, uh, you know, higher than than the growth in population for a number of years. But the other aspect of it, just the fact that without really defining uh, the limited role of government, you know, when the economy does turn around, if, if we don't have better leadership, I think those particular uh, believers in big government will get back in and take spending back to the level it was uh, prior to the economic turnaround. A couple of weeks ago, Governor Purdue vetoed zero-based budgeting which had had a lot of support from fiscal conservatives and libertarians. The Libertarian Party of Georgia issued a press release in favor of it. Um, would you use zero-based budgeting to justify spending programs uh, in, in your budgets you send to the legislature, assuming you're elected? Uh, yes. I spoke out in favor of uh, zero-based budgeting, and you know what I uh, would say is that you know, we, ought, we ought to give it a chance. Some people say, well, it won't work. They, they either think it's, it's too uh, costly or it's too time-consuming uh, to put it in place. Uh, 
uh, I think some have even said we've already tried it, uh, you know, in the past. But you have to look at who was in charge and, and what leadership uh, was involved in the process because I think that makes a difference. And it's, it's all about, you know, what you believe in as far as, you know, do you believe in big government or don't you? So it may not work as well with someone else as it would uh, with me under leadership. Do you believe the Second Amendment is an individual right, and did you support the uh, relaxation of concealed carry laws and, I guess, the clarification of concealed carry laws uh, that was passed during the last session? Uh, yes and yes. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely an individual right because, ultimately, individuals are the ones responsible for protecting their lives. I mean, government can't do it. They, they Even if they wanted to, they couldn't be every place they needed to be to try to protect uh, the citizens uh, here in Georgia. So um, when, you, when you look at it, and I spoke at the GCO event last year, and when you talk about requiring a license to carry a, uh, a firearm, to me, and I think the others would agree, that that's not a right. That says it's a privilege. Right. And one, one thing that got lost in, in the discussion about what was going on in Arizona was the fact that they, they passed the uh, concealed carry law in which they eliminate the need to have uh, a firearm license. And I agree with that. They left it as an, as an option for those who uh, like the aspect of having reciprocity with other states. But I think that's more in line with respecting individual rights saying, hey, you can carry law-abiding citizen if you want to, um, but you don't have to have a license. Are you a gun owner, by any chance? Yes, I am. Even, so so let, me, let, me, I mean, let me ask you, if you have, because a lot of people would say, with four kids at home, some people say, well, that's bad parenting. You have guns in the home. You shouldn't have guns in the home. But I guess, do you teach your kids, you know, this, you know, guns are only bad if they hurt people, you know? I mean, is that something you, is that a lesson you give to your kids early on? To, to explain to them that the, the rights and the wrongs with guns. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I teach them to respect uh, firearms. I teach them uh, not to touch them unless they're my oldest, the older son, unless he's in my presence. Um, so, yeah, you, and it's all about being responsible, uh, you know, being a responsible adult and being responsible, a responsible parent. So absolutely, I think education is very important if you have firearms, want them, or are thinking about them. Despite a spending increase of 119% over the last 25 years, Georgia still ranks near the bottom in education. We also have the second highest paid teachers in the Southeast, if I remember correctly. What do you believe can be done to improve education in our state? Well, just from the statistic you just mentioned, I think one of the first things we'd have to do is accept the fact that uh, more money isn't the answer. You know, we, we've thrown money at education uh, for decades, and it hasn't worked. We also have to, to realize that schooling doesn't necessarily equate to education. And I, I think that is bared out in, in various uh, statistics also. So once you are willing to accept those things, then you move on and, well, what can we do about it? And I think, uh, of course, we need 
focus on giving parents in local communities uh, more more control of education. Um, how do you go about doing this? Now, I, I'm, if, if you look at the system and, and what we have now, uh, one change would be I like more funding for local libraries. And, and the reason I say that is when you go to, first of all, li libraries serve everybody in the community, uh, from toddlers you know, all the way up. And the difference is that when you go to a library, people that, that patronize libraries, they go seeking information, seeking knowledge, and it's what they want to learn about, and librarians are there to help them, versus in just a, a school setting, uh, one, it's limited mostly to to young adults, young kids, and really you're teaching people only what you think they ought to know. So I, I like I think that's a different approach, something that would serve all communities well, uh, better funding. Um, we have to look at options that are available and maybe expanding on them. For example, your virtual school uh, right now. Kind of lit, it's, it's limited. You know, I've had parents dealing with locally here that wanted to be involved with virtual school, but they put limits on um, those outside of public education, and, it, and the slots were, were very limited. So we might look at expanding things like that. Uh, also, programs that have, have already been implemented, such as the tax credit mm -hmm. um, and allow the Scotland tax credit scholarship. Program with the SSOs. So you support um, school choice. That, you support school choice as a as a method of improving education. Oh, absolutely. The the more choice that parents have, I think the better. Um, the the problem is is identifying ways to allow them to have more choices. When you when you have a market in education that's so tied to government, uh, I mean it, it, it's tough. You know, implementing. And giving parents more choices, but I mean, there's there's certain things that you can do. Uh, you need to look at the money issue. You know, look at uh, instead of having to send the money to Atlanta, uh, it's almost like sending it to D.C. Once it goes away, in order to get it back, it's always going to have strings attached to it. Right. It's always going to have some type of mandates. So we need to look at uh, eliminating the need for sending money up to Atlanta or find a better way of sharing those resources uh, with the area it came from. Changing, so. well, <clears throat> changing gears a little bit, let me, I want to get into the, uh, you know, property rights. We're doing this interview today on June 23rd, which is the fifth anniversary of the Kelo versus New London decision. Um, Georgia has uh, has a eminent domain law that was passed in 2006, and it was, uh, the constitutional amendment was uh approved by voters at, in during the, that year's general election. Uh, critics say it's weak. I'm one of the critics who say it's a pretty, a pretty weak amendment because it points back to general law, which can be changed at any time the legislature's in session. So let me ask you, do you support a new constitutional amendment that defines blight and public purpose for eminent domain and closes the, the loophole, the big loophole that was left by the leg legislature in 2006? I would say yes. If, if the legislature isn't willing to to close the loophole, um, you look at the definitions uh, or the the, the open-endedness of, of the term blight and how, well, we're going to look at it 
case by case basis. You know, I, I think the legislature could close those loopholes, but if if they don't have the wherewithal, and maybe since they didn't do it the first go around, a constitutional amendment may be the best way uh, to to make a change in that area. Georgia has some of the most restrictive ballot access laws in the country, and, and uh, Richard Winger from Ballot Access News would call them the most restrictive. Would you support a relaxation of ballot access laws for third party and independent candidates? And if you know, please explain if you would. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I, that's a pretty pretty easy one, of, of course. And you know, I, I think it's not only a shame, but it should be an embarrassment that countries such as Iraq and even the former Soviet Republic of Georgia probably have more opportunities and more candidates on the ballot than we have here in the U.S. and in Georgia. So I definitely ex, uh, support expanding uh, the ability for those who run a, want to run for office that have different ideas out, outside of the one-party system we're almost stuck with. You know, absolutely they should have a chance to get on the ballot. Why do you think the laws are so restrictive, and why did, why hasn't the legislature, in your opinion, acted on this in the past? Well, I mean, it, you have to look at who put it in place. And really, and this goes back to, to bureaucrats, um, it, it would make, it probably doesn't make sense to, to ordinary citizens, but to bureaucrats, those are the two major parties who put these type of statutes in place, they're, all, they, they're trying to protect themselves. And... And that's why when you look at a, an election, the choices are limited. And it's a shame that you know, people go down the ballot and say, hey, I don't even have a choice. You have all these uh, many incumbents, I think the number is close to 70%, who run un- unopposed in, right. in the Georgia Assembly. I mean, that is, is utterly ridiculous. Well, changing gears a little bit to uh, an issue that's going to be on the minds of a lot of people this year, uh, transportation. Uh, it's going to be a major issue for the next governor of Georgia. Uh, where do you feel the focus should be for the Georgia Department of Transportation and the state legislature? You have, I, I think you, first of all, before you talk about addressing a, a problem, you have to discuss how you got there. And first of all, you know, what is the problem? If you look at, just say, well, it's gridlock. I mean, you, you can't move uh, around Metro Atlanta, some of the other, other urban areas. You have to ask yourself, why is that? I mean, We've been building roads. I went to school in Atlanta from 83 to 87. They were building and constructing roads then, and there's still construction going on today. So obviously, just just throwing another road in there hasn't solved the problem. You know, my focus, and I I believe that you you have to look at it as an economic uh, situation. Because I'll tell people in a heartbeat, down here in South Georgia on 19 and 84, which I live nearby, we don't have those problems. But what you have is, and I think it's in, in part of it comes from the money being concentrated around Atlanta. That's where it's going to end up getting spent. But if we had more economic opportunities around the state, uh, we'd have less uh, young people from these rural areas feeling that they have to leave their hometowns and go to uh, Atlanta or Gwinnett or Cobb uh, somewhere up there to find, you know, worthwhile opportunity. So we have to look at opening up the free market and economics around the state so we can have 
those same kids, those same college graduates and high school graduates, give them the ability to start their own business or to expand the smaller businesses in, in these areas. And they won't, everybody won't feel they, a need to have to go to, to an Atlanta or, or metro Atlanta area. Do you support a new tax to fund transportation projects? Uh, no. I mean, we, the citizens of Georgia are already burdened down enough with taxes. I mean, that's definitely not the way to go. Even if we were doing well economically, right now, with the, economic, uh, with the economy down, it's definitely not the way to go. From an economic standpoint, if there was a need and there was the wherewithal to support that need, we should let private business come in and get out of their way and let them establish uh, a transportation system instead of always looking the government uh, to solve our problem. You're talking, government you're, is not the answer. You're talking about like transit, like commuter rail and light rail and all that, because government often gets involved in that because it's, uh, a lot of people say government should do it because it's never going to make money, and that's that kind of is the reason government should never get involved in it, at least in, in my opinion, as a libertarian, in your opinion, I'm sure as a libertarian as well. I guess, I guess is that what you're referring to? Right. I'm just saying, if it doesn't, if it does not economically make sense, why do it? You know, if, if it can't support itself, because, you know, what's going to happen? Well, government decides, not the marketplace, that we need a light rail system. Okay, so how are they going to pay for it? That's the, the next question. Well, how can government raise money? The only thing they're going to do is either going to send us in debt or they're going to, uh, you know, increase our taxes. So, and then once they put the, the, the system in place, if it's not uh, viable financially, then we're going to have to go back and continue and continue to pour money in it. And it, it's just wrong-headed. And I just don't believe that's the way we ought to be going. Would you support legislation that would allow counties and communities to determine for themselves if alcohol say, uh, should be sold on Sunday? Uh, absolutely. And I say that because, first of all, it's better than the system we have now. Uh, allowing people more freedom, I agree with that. But I still look at it as a, um, it's a little bit of a, a cop-out. You know, I think the legislature ought to have the leadership because the fundamental question is, if someone wants to buy alcohol on Sunday and there's someone out there that wants to sell it to them, should they be allowed to do so? And if that's the case, then we ought to have legislation in place that allows that to happen. You know, what you do when you force it down to the community level, I mean, you're dealing more with a, a democracy situation. Does the majority of people believe in that? And that goes against our principles of freedom. So if the majority says this, we shouldn't have that, um, then we shouldn't have it. And, and once again, I don't believe that's the type of direction that we need to go in. Let the marketplace figure it out. If it works well, uh, people will support it, it'll thrive. And even from personal experience, you know, having these restrictions, uh, it hurts business. Uh, it hurts uh, those who work at businesses that sell alcohol. It even hurts the, the, the revenue of the state. I find it kind of ridiculous. You can go buy alcohol in a restaurant, get drunk, get smashed, and drive home. But you can't go to a store on Sunday, pick up beer, and drive back to your home and drink it. It just seems a little odd to me. Well, 
once again, it depends on your mindset and what you believe in. If you believe in freedom, yeah, it seems very odd. But if you believe in government controlling people's social lives, it, it seems perfectly fine. Do you believe that states have the ability through the 10th Amendment of the Constitution to reject federal mandates or programs, such as Obamacare, for example, which we haven't talked about health care at all tonight? Uh, yes, I, I do. And once again, if, if you look at the, the, um, the groundwork for the founding of the country, uh, one, uh, once again, I'm a candidate who has spoken often about tying the Declaration of Independence to the Constitution, because I feel um, if you... If you don't do that, really, um, you allow government to expand in the areas that, you know it shouldn't be. If you, if you tie it, the Declaration and the limited role of government in protecting people's rights, um, we'd be in a, a lot better position. Now, the Tenth Amendment, you know, is one of those guidelines laying out, you know, what one the two branches main branches of government the, the federal and state governments can do but also you know realizing that the real power is vested in the people so yes i support uh the 10th amendment and would probably be working very closely with the attorney general to say any law that's forced down in the state that's a mandate and it's not part of the constitutional powers that have been delegated then i would you know certainly fight against it. What did you think about the health care law that was passed uh, back in March? Do you think it's a gross intrusion onto state governments who are going to have to fund uh, Medicaid now to, to the what the law requires in Obamacare? And as well as the citizens of, of the state of Georgia and other states are going to be forced to buy a product. It's the first time that the federal government has ever forced a citizen to buy something. Uh, you know, I think it's horrendous. And once again, um, hey, I, I'm a believer in free markets and letting the marketplace, you know, solve whether problems or situations that we face. And it, it's clearly that with the, the government involvement in health care is, is why car costs are so high, uh, for one, and, and, and this doesn't address that at all. Uh, it takes away personal responsibility. That wasn't addressed at all. So once again, and, and for those, just speaking of those who support uh, programs like that, you have to ask yourself, you know, do you believe in freedom or not? And also, if the government can do this, you know, what else can they force on us? And, you know, have we been on, we've been on the slippery slope probably for 80, 90, 100 years. And if we don't put an end to it, if we don't, you know, draw a line and say it stops now, then we're going to continue moving the wrong direction. And once again, I would say that the other parties, other candidates have, have been given every opportunity that they can to change what's going on in the state and this country. They failed miserably. And I believe it's time now to go in a new direction, go on, get on a better path. And that's what you know, I'd like to, to focus on and talking. Uh, to the voters, uh, You've said this a couple times today, uh, tonight, uh, early on when I was talking to you about the purpose of government. So, what is the purpose of government? Without you know, dragging you know a long out definition, I think it's it's clear in the Declaration of Independence. The purpose of government is to protect individual 
rights. Period. That's in a, in a nutshell. Now, what the Constitution was supposed to do is put an implementation on that foundation and saying, this is how we're going to do that. And what we've seen is just the Constitution alone, uh, if, you, if you think that uh, that alone will be successful, I think you're wrong. It's proved to have been a failure. But I think the failure is in the type of people that we've been electing in the office. If you have somebody who's solid on limiting the role of government, sticking to the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, you know, that's what's going to make a difference. That's how we turn uh, where we're going around. Well, John, let me get your final thoughts. I'm very excited about talking to folks all around the state. And pretty much what we've talked about uh, this evening is what I talk about. You know, how do we get on a better path? How do we go in a different direction? And that's focusing on individual rights and freedom. I, I spoke at an event uh, in Albany about a week ago, and we have to realize that we cannot have, well, we do not have a free country unless we have free people. So, I mean, that's it. Now, I believe I offer you know, a great opportunity to the voters of Georgia to say, let's go in a different direction, and let's go in a better direction. And it's up to them. I, all I can do is share the vision. And if they accept it, if they buy into it, I say vote for John Mons. Website's votemons.com. If you vote for me, it's a vote that you can feel good about. So you're on, it's votemons.com. And are, do you do Twitter and Facebook? Yes, Twitter, Facebook, uh, MySpace. You're all over the web, right? Uh, Yep, you have to be today, and it's just being down in South Georgia. Uh, it's just a way to, to be able to connect uh, all over the state. Well, John, thank you very much for your time this evening. I appreciate it, and I wish you the best of luck uh, as we head into the general election, which is uh, not as far away as it seems. Yeah, uh, once again, thanks, Jason. I appreciate the hard work you, you're doing by informing the public, talking to candidates, getting your views out, and uh, good luck to you and your continued endeavors. Thanks, John. I appreciate it.